welcome to Robot Dice Explosion Podcast. I'm Ben. I'm Ollie. So we finally managed to get back together uh, after recording episode zero and episode one after a false start this week. It, where <laughs> you came the, over. The recorder went missing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ol came over to record the podcast and found me sort of bumbling around the house trying to find my notes and the the actual recorder to record the podcast we eventually gave up on that and decided to plan out some of the episodes that we we're going to do and so on uh then of course my wife comes home and goes oh, oh the recorder oh, it's just in that bag over there oh that, that's where i put it wasn't it <laughs> uh so that was uh that was a disaster so we've reconvened a couple of days later uh on a sunny sunny Sunday, where I've been uh, hacking things back in the garden and trying to put up a picture rail in the nursery, so that's been interesting. Uh, I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn, so I think I've had the better deal out of those two. Uh, maybe. You play through... That's your second playthrough now, isn't it? Yes, I'm playing through the, the DLC at the moment. Oh, okay. Enjoying Which, it? Yeah. It's much harder, but... Okay. Like, a lot. All oh, right, because it unlocks like a section of the map which... I mean, I listen to podcasts about yeah. games, so I know I've never played this game, but it unlocks bits of the map which uh, you can actually go to if you start a new game straight away. Oh, yeah, you? you totally can. You will just die. Yeah, you just... Well, no, if you... It, it's, as far as I understand, it's not it's not restricted to New Game Plus. So you could... As, yeah, soon, as yeah. soon as you unlock the map, you could go there in a brand new game. That will not work out well for you. Yeah, well, you know where they put out Game of the Year editions and so on. Yeah. I think if you get the game of the year edition or whatever the equivalent mm. is, it comes with that DLC. Yeah, probably, yeah. So you can literally go, oh, I've been given access to the open world. Oh, here's this extra... Oh, I mean, dead. you're not going to wander in there by accident. Okay. It, it takes a bunch of climbing and is out of the way. Oh, okay. And you, you get a sure. quest that points you in the right direction, but the quest is marked as level 30. Right. So and you can know. get that quest in like your early teens. So you're probably going to look at that and go like, maybe I'll wait. Maybe not, yeah. Doing it as level 30 seems challenging, <laughs> but I'm also playing on like very hard mode or something like that. Okay. So I don't know how that translates into if you're just playing it on normal. Yeah, uh, If you look at the experience points totals you get from defeating uh, the robots up there, uh, the discrepancy is massive. Okay. Like I got... 800 experience points from defeating the big T-Rex. I'll assume that's a lot. No, I got almost 12,000 from (laughs) defeating uh, the demonic uh, giant gorilla. Spoilers. So, yeah. (laughs) Spoilers for demonic giant gorillas. Uh, Well, I I mean, so of course, my wife and I, uh, expecting our first child, decided that the most sensible thing to do would be to buy a PS4 as well. Because obviously we're going to have more time on our hands that we need to just while away. Well, you could just have like a playpen in front of the TV and then you... you oh, you can... know, one foot on the little yeah. uh, rocking chair yeah. and uh, and then God of War in, in the hands. I mean, so my wife bought it, which went halves with me, but it was mainly her thing. And she wanted it because there's a new God of War game out, which just, it looks awesome, but I can't play it until she's played through it because I don't want to catch up or anything like yeah. that. So... As you do, we bought a PS4 Pro and I bought a PlayStation 2 game to play on it, which is Shadow of the Colossus, which must be 
eight or ten years old now, I think. At least. Something that that, like that. that seems like a good use of the graphical resources in the, <laughs> in the PS4 well, Pro. It, it is a remaster. Like it, <laughs> True. And it's not just a, an up-res. It is like a, you know, a full... You've actually done some work. Yeah. And it, it does look really nice. It, you put it next to God of War and, you know, it, okay. But, but fine, you know, you've got to have certain expectations. But all the, all the Colossus in it are Colossi. Are covered in fur and, and they always were, but now it just looks. It looks. Now really it looks good. like fur. Yeah, it's, it's been really good fun playing through that. I completed it. I just went straight to hard mode, and now I'm going through doing the time attacks uh, on hard mode as well. I've decided that I'm never going to get the platinum trophy on any other game, especially because I've got a kid coming. So I'm going to platinum this one. And then I'm just going to oh, just that's, that's, walk away from trophies. That's just too much work. I've, it, I've, it, I've looked at what I need, would need to do to get platinum on in Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yeah. And I cannot be bothered. No, that's with, with a lot work. of those open world games, the platinum seems <laughs> crazy hard to get. Or, or at least it's just a big investment in time. Uh, it, whereas with this, because it's, it's quite a tight game, one of the trophies is complete hard in five, uh, five and a half hours or less, I mm-hmm. think. You can legitimately do it in less than three, especially because if you do all the hard time attacks, you get this like crazy sword which kills monsters. Well, kills the colossi in essentially one hit. Yeah, or one. It takes out a, a, a location yeah. in one hit. So it'll be it'll be fine. I'll platinum that, and then I'm going to walk away. I mean, I'll play other games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worry about trophies. So it's, yeah, it's interesting though with achievements. Yeah. That, because all you get is this weird little graphical representation of, I've done this ridiculous thing that wasted my time a lot. And proof of the bragging rights, I suppose. Because when you were in school, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I got this high score on yeah. Donkey Kong, so I'm going to like, prove it. Okay, like maybe come around my house or we'll go down yeah. the, the arcade yeah. and those are my initials or something. But now, it, you know, you can share it on the internet and so on, I suppose. It's a, it's a bit, it's a weird meta game thing going on with it. But I mean, I do it even with things like, Civ, where I go like, oh, I haven't won with this civilization yet. I guess I should. I don't really want to play them. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we do it with board games as well. When you have different factions in the game, you play. Let's say you play Game of Thrones with six players for the sixth mm. time. Well, you're probably going to try and have the sixth faction, yeah. if you can, unless someone just really screwed you over when you were Starks and you really need to prove yourself. I guess. Yeah, well, Stark's is a good example of that. Yeah. That one is so start dependent. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I think trophies are a weird thing. Um, but it's nice to sort of go, I've got everything in this game. Although, actually, terrible example, Shadow of the Colossus, because there is something, there's something like 72 coins hidden in the world. Now, you hear this uh, sort of twinkling sound coming from your controller yeah. when you're near them. Yeah. And then you go and pick them up. But it's it's not described anywhere in the game. What what that's about? So it's only by going to the internet that you go. Oh, if you have a look at the bottom left hand corner of your map, you'll see how many you've collected. But it doesn't look like it's a total of anything. I only know that because we went on the internet and, and, and you found. Oh, so that's what that weird number yeah. is. There's literally no trophy associated with collecting those seventy two coins. <laughs> which it's it's literally the, the the biggest fetch quest that you have yeah. in that game. And it gives you nothing. Oh, it does give you something. It gives you a sword, which I think it does increased damage, but you take damage. That sounds weird. Yeah. Or I could just complete 
it on hard mode time attack and get a sword, which, which is, which is better. much better. Yeah, which or, also sounds easier actually. Yeah. And I can't prove to anyone other than showing them the sword. There's no, there's no trophy. Yeah, and yeah. Again, I don't know that I necessarily care about that. And we'll see how bored I am by the time I got all the trophies. Because uh, probably quite bored. I, I probably will just give it a miss. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we should probably talk about miniatures and board games, seeing as that's ostensibly the purpose of the podcast. Well, it, we were talking about games. It sort of fits. I think there's a lot of uh, lessons that can go between the two, yes. not just within obvious genres like Civilization and, well, you can, you can take Civ the board game, I suppose, yeah. but not just between those sort of easily equatable games. And, of course, you start seeing Catan on computers and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But I think there's there's lots of lessons that can go both ways, and maybe we'll try an episode on that at some point, but... Uh, also, games that, sh- that are one type of games probably should should have been another. But yes, yeah. I mean, we both talked about Kingdom Death, and they're like, eh, yeah, it's, I, it's pretty good. But actually, it maybe be, this should it be, be better game, as a computer game. video game. But yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's been a while since we recorded the first couple of episodes. Well, the first episode. Yes. So in that time, we've actually played quite a lot of games, an unusual amount of games, considering I also had two weeks off from the club. Yes, although I have a feeling that once we start actually paying attention to how many games we play, it's going to end up not being that unusual, actually. Maybe, yeah. I do, I do quite often complain, like, oh, I only get one day a week where I play games. And that is usually true, but then I squeeze a couple in maybe on the weekend, every other week, and yeah. it, it does add up. And it has been, oh, I don't know, three, three weeks since we recorded yeah. initially, because we delayed putting it out because yeah. of editing and so on. Yes. Uh, and learning how we do what we're Podcasting doing. Podcasting is hard, as it turns out. <laughs> it turns out, yeah, <laughs> lots of work. Uh, I have figured out ways for it to be less work, uh, or at least red guides on it being less work, so hopefully <laughs> uh, we won't have such a big gap. But uh, yeah, so we both went away with our wives to the Cotswolds. To play to, games, to basically. To play games for a weekend. It wasn't all we did, because it was another beautiful weekend. Yeah. Sunny. It was, warm. yeah, it was basically walking and playing board games. Yes. And a barbecue. Yes. Yeah. Which was nice. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So, while we were there, we played a few games, uh, obviously, that being the purpose. Uh, the main one is that we have a... a we're, we're playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Yes, and we've been playing it, uh, the four of us, uh, all the way through. And we did... We started Season 1? Yeah, we did Season 1 all the way through the same four people. Which I think probably is the best way to play it because there's, it, it can get quite complicated. And there's more buy-in when yeah. everyone is along for the whole story because it is a story. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see situations where maybe one person might sit in because someone else isn't available. Yes. But even then, you have the buy-in to the character. You develop your favourite characters and also the the mechanics become layered quite over deep. the original pandemic yeah, quite deeply. So you sort of, you need to be up to speed. Jo- jumping in, in like the last third of the game or something, when you're like, so you need to do an action. You have 18 different choices. <laughs> it's going to be rough yeah. if you don't have any real context for how good they actually are. Yeah. I, I, I guess potential spoilers for season one might happen uh, in the next couple of minutes, but uh, we'll try and stay away from it. And there will be none for season two. Yes. Let's yes. make sure we get that in there. Uh, so the thing with season one is that you would 
end up with your reference cards of your actions. And it, there were two of them. There were two they were double-sided. Both double-sided. It didn't quite use up all the slots. There weren't 16 no. actions. It was just slightly fewer than that. But uh, it was like 12 or 13 yeah, or something like that. It was a lot. And I really enjoyed season one. I think we all did. Yes. We... We it was won a, about half our games first a, time, or half our months. Yes, we won, time. yeah, half the month, and we did not fail a month. No, so that effectively means that we got the second 18 best. games out of Yes, 18 games, and we got the second best ending. Yes, we, we, we came, yeah, they give you, they assess your success rate, don't they, yeah. essentially. Uh, we came in at uh, the second tier. So it's interesting with legacy games where people think you know you, there's quite a lot for a game because it does cost more than your average box of pandemic yes but not actually that much i think around 60 quid aren't they sure you can probably get a deal but, but, but but good quality board games these days are not actually that far off that anyway yeah but for one with no miniatures in yes that yeah, is, that's that true. Is a reasonable amount um it's, it's not an inconsiderable amount yeah. even if it's not super unusual hmm and we got 18 games out of it. You, you'll get between 12 and 25 games out of it. The, yeah, 20, the, the 25th being if you play the practice game because yes. you're new to Pandemic. Yes. Um, if you're new to Pandemic, you should not start with the legacy version. No, definitely not. And definitely not Season 2. We'll come back to that. No. Uh, so, I've forgotten where I was. You were. I, I imagine what you were saying is that while it is quite a, a financial outlay to begin with, the value for money is actually pretty yeah, good. Think how often that you play other games that you spent similar amounts on. I don't know if I've got eighteen plays out of any other game yet. Uh, I'm sure I can come up with one, but certainly not one that is comparable in terms of like investment in playing it. Sure. Yeah. I definitely haven't got that far with Blood Rage or anything. I mean, original Pandemic, yeah, easily. Yeah, uh, because we've kind of been evangelical about that and going yeah, around yeah. Uh, showing people, uh, especially because my wife works in emergency planning. So yeah, it's kind of take that to the office, and everyone's like, "Oh, this is interesting." <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we can we can we can play our day job. Yay! Yeah, I literally made her a card, which was the <laughs> contingency planner, but it's got her face in it <laughs> instead of the the artwork. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think they're decent value for money, really. Um, I guess we will never play season one again. No. I think originally on the outset, we're like, oh yeah, we might be able to get to play it at the end because it will have weird and funky rules, but actually your objectives change quite a bit. So I just don't think coming into it and playing the last month will be worthwhile. Also, by the time you get to the end, like you are either quite invested enough in the story to care about it, or you've given up. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. I think. But season one had some... That's a really good uh, little narrative twist, a yeah. couple of them. I, I wouldn't say that it broke new ground as far as what the initial twist on the mechanic no. was. That wasn't a big surprise. No, I mean, it, like, season one is very much pandemic with some sprinkles on top. Yeah. But great. Really, but really, pandemic really works, so that's, that's not a complaint. Yeah. So, moving on to season two... It's very much not pandemic with sprinkles. It's sort of reverse pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could talk about the initial mechanics because of uh, well, you, the you, first you, month. You can't really you'll read, read that when you when you get that when you get the rulebook. Exactly. So it's effectively inverse pandemic. 
instead of removing disease cubes from the board, you're placing supply cubes on the yeah. board. Yeah, it's sort of preventive, you could say. Yes, because whilst so disease cubes will still pop up, but they will only pop up when you have no supplies on the location. Yeah. So it's really about just making sure you've got preventative measures in place, in place already for when the shit hits the fan, for- which it will. Forward planning. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. And you, you, there's definitely an element of gambling in that. And Where original Pandemic and Season 1, there's only one copy of each uh, city's card in both the player deck and the infection, infection deck. deck. In this, the, the there's a variable number. It could be one, but it could be three cards. So far we've seen one. Yeah, you start with three. I think everything is three when you start. Everything is three, and we've seen a little bit lower. Yes. I don't think we've seen higher, but no, we, I don't think we, we are not quite halfway through the game yet. So yeah, we've, we've completed May. So yes, it becomes about making sure that you can you can prevent things going wrong. But the trouble is, if a city comes up and gets infected, you can't breathe a sigh of relief because it might come up again. Yeah, it could even come up again after that. It could if you get to draw three cards. If you're lucky it, enough to infect three cities, it could be the same city three times. In which case, good luck. You're in trouble. Yeah. So I definitely feel, in some ways, they've done some really cool stuff to make you feel less in control. Comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Because obviously, you play Pandemic. We played a lot of Pandemic. Played all the expansions, and then we came to season one. And we're like, oh, I think we know what we're doing. Yeah. Season two, you start off we, we, and you just we, we played the prologue. And we were like, okay, we, we get we get how the mechanics have changed. We got this. Uh, and then we played the first actual game. And we totally <laughs> did not have it. No. It screwed us. Uh, I think the first three months we lost, lost the first game. The first game each time. And I've got to be honest, it started to become a little disheartening. Yes. Especially where at least two of those months we lost by one person's turn. We could have completed it. Yes. And then we didn't. But we came back the next game and, and we beat it. We haven't lost a month yet. We haven't lost a month yet, no. It's, it's just been a bit of a rougher ride than we were expecting. Yes, and, and it's definitely set up for you to lose more. I think so, yeah. Because uh, when your characters get exposure... They don't straight up get a scar like they used to yeah. in the original game. They they just you scratch off a box on their card and you see what's there. Yeah, and things happen. Yeah, could be a scar, could be nothing. Uh, could actually be premature death. I understand that you could get death before the last box. That's what the rule book claims. Yeah, I, uh, I would imagine it would only be in the last three boxes or so. It would be a bit rough if because you, <clears> you <throat> just get a random number of uh, it's not a random, but you get a bunch of character cards and you make the characters yourself. Yeah. So I suppose if, as the developer, you wanted to be mean, you could have one of those cards which is just like, oh, it's dead on the first or second one. <laughs> but that just seems mean yeah. and unlikely to improve your playgroup's enjoyment of the game. I mean, I can see if you were doing it with the theme of uh, Game of Thrones, maybe? <laughs> yes. But uh, you, you make a point about the characters, that you design them yourself effectively. Uh, more so than the original game. I think so you get more buy-in. So you get basically a blank card. Yeah. With with, with some sections in it. But then you take uh, portrait artwork that you want and that becomes their portrait. Then they get a job. Yes. And from there you can give them additional skills. Just like the original Pandemic. But I think there's a lot more ownership there. You're still naming them. Yeah. But 
It's, it's not. I I like the way to create buy-in. Yeah. But it also means that when you lose, it becomes more stressful. Yes, absolutely. It has been. It's definitely been anxiety the game for us at times, and frustration. But definitely some satisfaction when we've beaten it. I think going away and actually playing multiple games in in a row over the weekend seem to have helped our our just our skill at the game and we seem to have gotten yeah. better well that thing that we mentioned that season one it'd be quite hard to just jump in halfway through well often we would be six weeks between games or maybe more and we come back we're like wait what's the new mechanic that how do we which also explains why there were some of the mechanics we basically didn't use yes I think that that uh, that's likely to be the case with season two, just the same, if maybe worse, but we don't know yet. It's definitely layering some mechanics on where you have to be quite methodical in the way that you read through when you reassemble for your next session. Yes. So, like you say, we played multiple sessions in a weekend, and I think that helped a lot. Yeah. It's and 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 just like both season one and normal pandemic, there's some mechanical competence in. How do you execute your actions? Yeah. Because you need to be quite efficient and you you don't need necessarily need to be perfect about what you do, but you probably need to get quite close. And that actually may increase one of my biggest criticisms of Pandemic is that it just encourages an alpha gamer. And you and I both are guilty of doing it because... Yes. <laughs> certainly my wife's less confident about games and asserting herself when she's got the, the right idea yeah uh and we both tend to go oh we should do this 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 is this and sometimes we'll, well get a look from our I, wives i think <laughs> we've both been told off and go like be quiet let me think about this yeah because we well i mean we've been playing i've been playing games for she can't everything about 30 years yeah it definitely i think because we play very often as well mm. that you you just start putting together all the options and then you want to communicate all the options you don't necessarily want to make the decision but you commun- you want to communicate all the options but you communicate it in a way that doesn't actually allow the other person to, to a come up with an option themselves or b actually make that decision because there's just too much information in yeah. one stream. or you start at the beginning and then very quickly go through the calculations and jump to the end and go like you should do this with not a lot of explanation. Yeah. It's definitely something that we both need to consciously like think about. I sort of I occasionally do that in non-alpha gamey things either. Yeah. I mean, when there's several times in various different game groups where I was like, yeah, don't listen, don't listen to him <laughs> when we were playing com- competitive games because I like giving advice. It'll yeah. be good advice. It's just usually better for me. Yeah, no, you're 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 a bastard when it's competitive games. Oh, you know, this would make a lot more sense to you, and then, well, maybe I won't actually suffer from it at all, and that person to the right of you will. Or, oh, you should totally go and, and go and do this because once you've done that, you did not take the option I wanted. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, all in all, I'd highly recommend season one. Yes, for people who have played a couple of pandemic games, and I'd actually recommend playing season one before season two. Yes. We've been playing it, trying to do once a month, once a month. So trying to match the month of the game with the month of the year we're actually in, starting January, yeah. finish in December. 
lots of people don't do that. Some people smash it out in a couple of weeks, which to me is just a little bit too intense. That requires a level of dedication to playing just that. Yeah, that, it requires that, you also not having like a nursery to uh, to decorate yeah. in a garden to mow and weed yeah, yeah. and yeah, other things, or just choosing to prioritize it. I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, that was good. Uh, then we played terraforming Mars. Or at least we played yeah. in between. Yeah. I've, one of my recent favourite games, actually. Oh, I really like that. I really like it. And it actually surprised me that my wife liked it as well. Because she generally tries to stay away from competitive games. But Terraforming Mars is... It's almost like soft competition. Yeah. There's very few ways in which you can directly screw other people over. And the level of impact you'll have on another player is generally not super high. It'll, yes. it'll be... Well, that was annoying. And it tends to be late game. Yes. Some of the things you can affect where, and you can't know, but someone might have a card which says, you can only play this when the temperature is minus 10 or below. Yeah. And then you raise the temperature to minus 8. You've screwed them over, but you didn't, you, but it, it wasn't was, malicious. It was not a, a direct action against that player. Yeah. And it just becomes like, I guess I should have played that card earlier. Yeah. There are other sort of soft competitive ways that you can you can mess with people, I suppose, where you can go, oh, I think they'll probably want to put a city down on that hex, so I'll put a tile on that hex yeah. to prevent that. That's sensible, but it's not it's not really aggressive and it's not malicious. Occasionally, you can take someone's animals off. Yeah, using you, your if predators. You're, if if you have predators, you could go and steal someone else's pets. Yes, essentially, but that that's fine, and uh, yeah. We played the expansion of, or one of the expansions. Because so, yes, all there is is essentially you get the base game, and with it there is, there are additional the, cards. It's called the corporate corporate era. Yeah, I think, which is effectively just here is another set of cards that focus more on uh, engine building and you, the economy of each player mm. rather than being heavy on terraforming cards. Yeah. So it's effectively, do you like this game? Would you like to play it for longer? At these cards. I think it definitely does make it longer. Oh, it makes it much longer. The original cards, like you say, are more focused around the terraforming part of terraforming Mars. Yeah. Which is how you end the game. End the game, yes. And arguably how you win it. But Yeah, to some extent. Um, whereas with those cards, there are... We played several turns before mm. we even started doing anything noticeable to Mars. Yeah. So the original game comes with a board, which is one-sided? One-sided. It is one-sided. The only expansion that's out there is another board which is double-sided. Yes. Which is effectively the other side of Mars from the original game. Yeah. And then one of the poles? Yes. I don't know. South Pole, I think, but I don't actually know. And it... Somewhat academic, isn't yeah. it? It's interesting because it, it puts the water or the moisture on the planet in different areas, the, the potential... Lakes, it, yeah, it, it, it reorganizes the way the map looks, so the way you get bonus resources, and yeah. it changes the way you get bonus victory points as well. So the the original game has awards and milestones. Yes. Now you have to, when you achieve a milestone, you can pay to get that milestone bonus. Yes. There are only three available. Well, there are there are five, but you can only oh, get three. Sorry, yes. So there are five from which you can only buy three. Then there are the awards where someone has to fund the award. Yeah, you, you institute an award and it can be for, oh, the best miner, the, yeah. mo the best scientist, 
the most famous person, whatever. Be, be generating the most heat by the end of the game. Yeah. Whatever. That is only one at the end of the game. So you could quite easily fund an award. And, and get nothing for it. Yeah. Try so, to avoid doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But of course that gives you that anxiety. Like, I don't, I don't want to, until I'm sure that I'm going to win that one. I don't want to buy it. Yes. So yeah, both sides of the new board in, introduced different awards and milestones. Yes. Removing the original ones, which makes it a little interesting. I think it's a really good way of doing an expansion actually, yeah. because it provides a twist on the original game, but doesn't actually add additional mechanics because oftentimes you get expansions and then you are like, did it really need this? Yeah. You've added things. I think there's don't enough help the going game. on with Terraforming Mars anyway. Yes. And at this point, I've played it a few times. I'm very comfortable with the game. Uh, initially, I'll talk about my initial thoughts of the game in a minute. But what actually happened when we played this game, which was on one of the expansion boards, not the polar one, it was the back side. Yeah, it was, it was the, the other side of Mars. Is that I think you bought all of the milestones, all three of them, back to back, back basically, to back. essentially over uh, the course of two generations. Yeah, I've, I finished off my last two actions of one turn was buying two of them, and I was going first. So my first action of the next turn was buying the third one. Yeah, which caught everyone else by surprise. Yeah, once I saw you start doing that, I thought, oh, I, oh no, I can't actually. I've run out of money. I can't stop him doing this. Okay. But then later in the game, I managed to buy all three of the uh, awards. awards, and then I won them as well. Yeah, didn't win the game. I can't remember who won the game. I so won the game. That was you. Of course, it was. You probably gave one of us advice. It was really helpful. Uh, <laughs> it's harder to do in terraforming Mars because most of it, the information is hidden. Yes. So before we move on to my initial thoughts of terraforming Mars, or maybe we do that now. Maybe we do that now. When I first played. Terraforming Mars, you got it out and mm. you were laying it out in front of us. And I was already a little worried that my wife won't be interested because it's competitive yeah. or whatever. Because I think the first time we played it was the last time we went to the Cosmos. It, it, it was, yes. And the graphic design on it is... <sighs> Once you understand it, it works quite well. It's got a good system. The design is, is solid. You know, everything which is generating resources has a certain border. And anything where you can uh, affect other people's stuff has a red, has a red border. border. And that's, that is very cohesive. It's not necessarily executed at a high level, I don't think. I, I think some of it's just a little yes. bit... Yes. I, I made this pattern in Photoshop and now I've beveled the, the artwork. Which, it works. It just initially, I looked at these cards and they have all these symbols. They've got top, the symbols in the top left, symbols in the top right. They, they'll tell you to do one thing. And if it's a blue card, they'll probably tell you to do another thing as well. And it was just information overload the, very the, early on. The learning process is basically, oh, there's new players. Here, have a look at these <clears> cards. Let me talk to you for 10 minutes about what this card does. And then you'll forget all of it for when we start. Which you just don't do it, do you? You, you sort of, you try and explain the general concepts to people. I feel that in a couple of generations, you get it. Yeah. It's, you need to impact enough information that people can make vaguely meaningful choices in the first round or two. Yeah. And then by the time you've gone through those, they will probably know what you're doing. Yeah, I think so. And... Which also goes together with... I like the way you've divided... Uh, there's, there's, there's different choices based on if you're a beginning or uh, an established player. 
Yes. So because you you you're effectively playing a corporation who's terraforming Mars, and there's a specific beginner corporation, which uh, which just starts off with more money and more cards. Yeah, you, you, the initial ten cards that they get. Yeah, you get a, they you, get for free. Yeah. Whereas everyone else will draw. Oh, it's not even ten cards, is it? I can't remember. Draw a number of cards, and they will have to buy each of those cards from the money they were given, which yeah. might or might not be more or less than the beginner gets. So if they get ten cards and a sum of money, whereas everyone else gets, I think it's also ten cards, but then you have to buy out of that, probably, yeah, uh, with whatever variable amount of money you get. But they then get a special rule to go along with that. Yeah. So I was playing, uh, was it Saturn Systems or something? something like that? I think so. And I every time a Jupiter tag, a Jovian tag, Jovian card, yeah, uh, came into play. I would get a victory point or something like something that. Something like that. Oh no, was it increase my money? I can't remember. Probably. But I got a benefit in that yeah. way. There's another one where I mean, uh, the one I played was Thesis Republic. So I would every time anyone played played a city on Mars, I would get more money. Yes, and if you played that, if city, I played you'd it, also increase I'd, your income. I'd increase my income. <laughs> I'd get some money back. I'd get even more money. That combo together with a bunch of other cards I played, and so pretty quickly, every time I played a city, I paid a third less than anyone else, and I got way more bonuses out yeah. of it. Yours definitely, your machine got to that point where it was, a, for the rest of us, we were just watching you do it and thinking, oh, that's not... Yeah, well... I, I don't know if we can compete here. And it, you, you did win by a reasonable amount, but it wasn't a runaway, I don't think. No, it wasn't. It, it Well, the, that's always the thing, isn't it? When you have a, like... a it's effectively like a deck building game. Mm. And when you're watching someone else do their thing, there's always a certain amount of, oh, that looks really good. Oh, well, late game, Liz was just... She'd play one card and go, oh, because you've played a, a, a plant card, you get to put plants on this card, but because you've put plants on the card, this other card gets micro uh, yeah. tokens put on it, and you just watch her for five minutes putting little cubes over everything, you think, oh, God, I'm screwed. Yeah. That... And actually, I think she came third in the end. So, yes. third, I can't remember. And it felt like a... Um, you watch it and it's it's disheartening. You think that actually she's going to get loads of VPs, but it doesn't quite do that. So it has this nice, almost anti-killing the leader feel yeah. to it. Obviously, there's not much that you can do to kill the leader. No, not 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 necessarily. But you can you can end the game quicker if yes, so, if suppose. someone gets to the point where you feel that that machine will run away with the game. Hmm. You can stop trying to build your economy and go like, I'm going to end the game right now because it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's somewhat of a, an advanced tactic, perhaps, to, to be able to judge that point. Yes. But it's I wonder if it's a viable tactic to go, go in with it and go like, I'm going to work as hard as I can to finish the game as quickly as I can. Well, you could still go, even though people are running corporations, if you run and just your goal is just terraforming the shit out of yeah. Mars, you'll be getting all the terraforming rating, which is effectively VPs. Yeah. And everyone else, they'll be like, but my sh machine's not doing what it needs to do yet. Yeah. And you're like, that's fine. Well, I'm just going to keep smashing the, the temperature up, the no, oxygen. Well, well, exactly. I mean, if you look at our our game, our last game, um, it took us, what, three or four generations turns hmm. before anyone really started doing anything. But if you start doing something from the first one, you can get a sizable lead before people really get going. And maybe yeah. the... Maybe the 
keep focusing on doing their own thing and doesn't really notice. Yeah. Yeah. Good or point. find it hard to change because the cards they've chosen to keep doesn't let them do anything to, to terraform. And suddenly you're like, oh, I, I have eight cards and all of them are useless for what's happening now. <laughs> I need to change, but I don't have enough money and suddenly you're stuck. Yeah. I, I definitely found that I zoned in so much on what I needed to be doing that I completely didn't think about you just taking awards. Mm. So I if if so I, I constructed my turn in my head like I'm just gonna have just about enough money to do these things. And then I realised too late that you were gonna start taking all the awards, at which point I, I couldn't really adapt in yeah. quickly enough. Yeah, because Because I, in order to win an award, you have to meet its requirements. Mm. And I was like just not hitting any of those requirements. Yeah. Whereas if I'd realised earlier I could have focused on those a little bit more. Whereas I was looking at them and going like Oh, there's these three. I can sort of do them pretty. I got a little bit lucky with my card draws and stuff as well, sure. in terms of timing. But I was look, I was looking at them and like, these can actually be done by other players, hmm. which is also why I waited until the end of the turn to do them. Because if I do them at the beginning of the turn, everyone else would go like, "Oh yeah, I should do some of those," and I don't get all of them. And it's the art in terraforming Mars of doing your minimum of one action each turn if you need to do stuff yeah. like that. Because you could do one or two actions each time it comes round to your turn. And that's a pretty good argument for most of the time you should just do one. Yes, the argument for doing two is when someone raises the temperature to just beneath the point where it also allows you to... Uh, get, get an ocean. Plant, or... Yeah, create an ocean. Or... I think there's, there, there's, several, there's several of the, there's one which also generates more heat for you or something yeah yeah there, there's, there's several thresholds and so various you wait and then you point. go oh, I'm increasing the temperature I'm increasing the temperature oh look I got this bonus because yeah. I went these two notches yeah. in one go but yes there's definitely uh, an argument for most of the time trying to string that turn out and hoping that other people aren't doing it as well or that you have enough money and sometimes you can do that by buying very cheap cards so that yeah. you can go buy one action playing this card if you've got a blue card which allows you to do which an gives you actions that doesn't cost you money. Yeah, you can exactly. go like, my action is I put a token on this, one token, I'm done. Yeah. What would be real nice is to get one which says, oh, you can turn money into energy, and then another one goes, you can turn energy into money. Yeah. You don't lose any. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm just gonna <laughs> wait until you're all done. <laughs> Two turns I passed effectively. I, I don't know if that's even possible. It may be very unlikely though. I was close to being able to do something like that. I could turn energy into money. Yeah, you had all sorts of bullshit going on. Um, <laughs> So the variant that we tried, in addition to the expansion, was oh, yes. a sort of drafting mechanic. So normally, It's in the rulebook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Normally everyone draws four cards? Four cards, yeah. yeah. At, at, the, at the beginning of every turn, you have, a, re you have a research step. Yes. You draw four cards, and then you choose how many of them you want to keep, and then you pay three credits for each card you want to keep. In the drafting version, you get your hand of four, then you take one card and you pass the other three to the left. And you keep passing them around until you end up with a hand of four, and then you buy from them. Yes. So what we ended up finding was that it was basically a meta game of denial. So you knew that I needed Jovian tags. So, so anytime like, I... As long as there's nothing that I really, really desperately want myself, I'm taking that Jovian card. And I'm not buying it. Yeah, I'm just taking it so you will not get it and I'll yeah. I'll discard it. Yeah. Oh, this card allows you to put a city into play for free. Well, I'm not letting I'll have that. Yeah. Except for that one time that I did let you have that because I just <laughs> didn't, didn't read the use card. my brain. 
but actually I think it was competing with another card which was spectacular for me yeah. so it swings around about I suppose but yes it ended up being denial which I think slowed all of our machines down it was the longest game of Terraform Mars we've ever played. Yeah, I mean, it might be twice e- the average length. I think. Yes, it was. even uh, It was even longer than our first game where we were learning the rules. Yes. So Terraform Mars says uh, 90 to 120 minutes? Yes. I mean, this was probably like 240 minutes. We went, we had dinner in the middle. We went out to the pub. Yeah, we, yeah, we, went, we, we went out for dinner and came back and we were only at most two-thirds of the way through. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. But, I, yeah, I wouldn't play with the drafting mechanic again. Uh, but otherwise, I really like the expansion. I, I really like the original game. Yeah. 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 It's good. It's definitely one of my favourites at the moment. Uh, so, we're not going to talk quite so long about the other games that we played, but we'll mention them anyway. You guys brought a little game along called Deep Sea Adventure. Yeah. Which fixed it in a tiny little box. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a tiny little box. It's something like... Two inches by four inches, something mm. like that. It's and essentially it's a push your luck game. Yeah, and you you are deep sea divers who are trying to recover treasure from uh, the sea bottom, and there's a mechanic for running out of oxygen. Yeah, it happens a lot, and everyone drowns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you can you roll everyone rolls a d three to see how far they go, and you keep going round every time. When someone then picks up treasure, the oxygen starts the oxygen starts draining, and down. you start moving slower, and yeah. you have to make it back to the submarine. Before you drown. So the game becomes one of you get down as far as you dare, hopefully just at the very uh, cusp of a new, like a higher value treasure. And then you pick that higher value treasure up and then you try try to make your way back. Desperately try to make it back. Hopefully pick another one up on the way. Very close to the submarine when you think you'll make it. Yeah, so you'll probably, I, I guess like best run would probably be pick up a four and maybe pick up a two, but probably a one. Yeah. And on the back of these numbered uh, treasure tiles, there'll be a variable number. So you could pick up a four, hoping for a really good score, and actually you don't get that much. You could even pick up a one. I think you can get a zero. That's zeros. There are zeros on the back we, of the we, one. Which, which is sad. I've had a game where <laughs> I've only picked up like three treasure tokens, and two of them were zeros. That feels really sad. <laughs> but that's a really good game. That, that's a game that I would, I would take to... A pub or restaurant if we're going to get a meal. Yeah. And be like, well, we're going to wait around for it a while. It takes 10 minutes to play. Yeah. 10, 15. And you can keep it in the pocket. It doesn't take up a load of space. Yeah. So really enjoyed that. Definitely play that again uh, as a little filler game. So the last... Oh, no, there, there was another game that we played, which uh, we haven't actually got in the show notes here. But that is uh, Pioneer's Program. Oh, yes. Um, which I'm not prepared to talk about so let me just write it in for no good reason because we can both already see that it's there uh so pioneer's program is game by gct studios who make bushido and it's a sort of well it's another post-apocalyptic rebuilding yeah game. i mean it's effectively a deck building game yeah you're, you're trying to build your machine a settlement again. yeah you're yes. trying to build a settlement and you'll get various bits of it uh personalities resources buildings hmm. Uh, but the twist in this one is that you can raid other players yeah. and destroy their stuff. But it's it actually doesn't happen very often. When it does happen, it, it's a bummer. It's a massive and it's bummer. potentially quite consequential. Like It can yeah. be really important, Yeah. but it's also hard to do. Yes. So the game is this sort of tug of war between 
generating a bunch of resources, but also being able to store those resources. And use them effectively. And then use them effectively. And every round, everyone changes character. Yeah. So one of the actions you can do is essentially uh, pick where you're going to go on the bidding track. Yeah. Isn't it? I think only one of the characters can do that. But And then when you come round to the start of the next turn... The first person on the track will pick a character, second will pick a character, and, and, each, and so on. each character have a combat modifier and a special rule. Yes, and the special rules are hugely important. I, you plan your turn around what special rule would I like and which special rule did I end up absolutely. with. Absolutely, and if someone takes the character that you really need, that's a problem. Yes. You can adapt, obviously. But uh, I think it's a good game. I, I think it probably takes longer to play than it Needs. would ideally. yes. I, I've got no solutions to offer for how to actually change that. No. But it feels like a game that should be quicker. Yes, yes, I know what you mean. It's It, it feels like a game that flows reasonably fast, but it doesn't quite. Yeah, I, I don't really know how to put my finger on it. You also that. need a group that are okay with being a bit cutthroat with each other. Because there will definitely be cases where, on unlike terraforming mars where you don't you can interact a bit hmm. but it doesn't feel that aggressive this can be very aggressive yes especially if someone takes sarge as a character because he can his special action he can go and rape people yes because otherwise you can't actually raise you can there's you very, there's very card, special cards that'll let you do it yeah that's what i mean you, yeah. you need to get a card in order to raid whereas he can just do it yeah and he can do multiple times maybe maybe yeah. i'd have to look at the rules again um, I mean, we've only actually played that game twice. Once at UK Games Expo last year. Yeah. And then once when we went to the Cotswolds this year. I would like to play it more. But, you know... There's lots of games we would like to play more. Absolutely. Yeah, I need to play more Rising Sun. That's a good game. Yes. I agree. I'm glad that I bought that one. Mm. Uh, so that's Pioneer's Programme. Um, good game. I would recommend trying it out. Uh, so then we played Fake Artist. Yes. Which... I guess we'll keep this one brief. It's essentially a game where one. It's a party game. It's a party game, hidden role. It needs. We played it with four players, but it really needs at least five. It absolutely needs five. But the concept is that one of you is a fake artist and you are exhibiting alongside a load of actual artists. So everyone who is an actual artist gets a brief from the GM. There's a GM who creates a. A category and an actual thing. Yeah, so, so you might say mammal is the category. Yeah. And they'll write that on the back of a chit, or several chits, and give those to the actual artists. And one of the chits will have an X through it. Whoever gets that, obviously they don't know. Yeah. They shuffle you, it. You know the category, but you don't know what mammal is actually being drawn. So you'll, you'll see, like, the category is mammals. Oh, of course, I'm getting it wrong. The category is mammals. What you're actually drawing is a mouse. Yes. So they know the broad category, but they don't have the actual creature yes. that you're drawing you you then take it in turns to draw it's a shared drawing you draw a line yes on a piece of paper with different colored pens and you go around and everyone draws two lines and at the end of that you have to vote on who you think is the fake artist yes yeah, so it's three two one point sort yeah. of situation so we had too few players because it was very obvious who was the fake artist yeah because when there's a gm and that's four players, then there's only three people doing something, and it was just not enough. Yes, exactly. I think I think four is the minimum, but I would say... The game actually says five minimum. Five, uh, five sorry, players. Sorry, I mean four yeah. non-GM yes, yes, players. Yes, yes, you're so right. five yeah. players is the minimum. 
But you you want to be playing it probably with eight. Yeah. yeah enough people where a single line doesn't make or break that person's but yes. It will get harder to, to figure out who the fake artist is the more players there are, of course. Yes, but we also, in our game, with just three players drawing, we also figured it out every single time. Yeah. So that's not a bad thing. Yeah, that was good fun. Mm-hmm. I look forward to playing that with more people. So that was our holiday in the Cotswolds. Thank you to Mastercraft Miniatures for sponsoring this podcast. That's okay, mate. Uh, Mastercraft Miniatures produce shoulder pads and hands for space marines, Japanese scenery, uh, lanterns and so on, as well as some animals like tortoises and birds and toads and things like that. Uh, I also stock miniatures for Eden, which is a post-apocalyptic wasteland game. Uh, they also, I also have some miniatures from Mal Miniatures and Golem Miniatures, uh, both really nice but not for any particular game. You can find Mastercraft and Miniatures at mastercrafter.co.uk, at MC Minis on Twitter, and Mastercraft and Miniatures on Facebook and Instagram. We should also thank Narbicus for producing our intro and outro music. He's not anywhere on the internet, so you can't find him. Since we came back, uh, we've played a few games. So Some oh, of them even involving miniatures. Yes. Yeah, because actually we haven't spoken about a single miniatures game yet, which is unusual uh, for me, at least. Yes. Um, so, uh, I missed a club night, and I think that was when you played uh, Massive Darkness? Yes. Which you've got a little campaign going with. A couple yes. Of um, I mean, it's, it's a dungeon crawler uh, it, campaign. I don't actually know any of the background for it. Oh, okay. You pick a character, and then you pick a class, and yeah. they interact in various ways. So the character brings some special rules... And the class gives you a couple of set abilities, and then you can spend experience points on buying stuff. Yeah. Then you walk through the dungeon, killing stuff, stealing their loot, and doing the mission. Yeah. So it's a pretty standard yes. dungeon crawl. There is a couple of interesting twists to it. Um, a, there is a Shadow. It's called Shadow Mode. So some areas on the board will be in Shadow. Right. Which trigger various special rules. So every character have a special rule. You have two special rules on the card. One of them only works if you're in shadow. Oh, okay. And various skills you can buy only works if you're in shadow. Right. Which is nifty. It gives yeah. an incentive. It also gives more incentive to move around and actually use the board rather than I walk into a room. Yeah. I roll dice until everything is dead. That's still some of that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a it's dungeon crawler, isn't it? It's going to happen. Um, the other thing is that. Um, everything is level based so that's level 1, 2, 3 and 4 mm-hmm. and that goes for skills monsters and equipment and you cannot use a higher level skill or equipment than the level of the dungeon piece you're in right so if you are in a level 2 on a level 2 dungeon tile but you have a level 3 sword that's really unfortunate because you can't use it huh that's strange. It keeps one character from sort of running away with stuff. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the dungeon will be... The minimum level of the dungeon will be the highest level of the starting characters. Right, okay. And there's various rules for turning it, trading in equipment and then getting higher level treasures <clears throat> out. So it's fairly easy to end up with treasure that are higher than the dungeon tile you're on but it will probably just mean that you might have to wait until 
the next campaign game to use it. Okay, right, I follow. So it's not as crippling as it sounds, yeah, but sorry, it, it well, keeps I, I it under control a little bit. Yeah, I think I misunderstood initially, thinking that oh, we've moved to this tile, which is a different level, so now my sword doesn't work. Yeah, no, no, it'll, but, but that doesn't happen. I take it. Well, there are there will generally be four tiles in each dungeon. I think they're quite, oh, they're quite right, big tiles, okay. um, and they will go up and they, they do not go down in levels, but they might go up. Okay. Okay. So you might start on the level three tile. So the first two might be level three. Mm-hmm. I think I have not actually set up a game I've only played in them and I did not pay that much attention to that aspect sure. uh, but then the last two tiles might be level 4 Okay. so you can't use your level 4 weapon until you get onto a level 4 tile yeah which feels quite nifty yeah um, well it means that you, you don't have a superstar who randomly got a really high end piece of equipment hmm. and are then like I shall kill everything yeah, it's, it's unusual to place the the cap on the tile rather than the character. Yeah. Because a lot of games, video games certainly, would be, oh, this is a level 10 sword, yeah. you're level 9, guess you're going to have to wait a little bit. Yeah. As a sort of gating mechanism. Yeah. Whereas that's actually doing it per tile. Interesting. Yeah. I, I can see the argument for it. It also, of course, changes... The tile will also change what level of monster you draw. Yeah, of course. Which... Presumably makes it a little bit easier to provide challenges. Yeah. Because you don't have your level one or two monsters running into people with lots of level four stuff. And that's a noticeable difference in power level. And it's perhaps easier to design that way rather than go, oh, you uh, need to spawn some characters on, or some, some enemies on this board. Calculate the average level of your players. No one wants to do that. Every single time. No. So I can see that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you guys have been playing it for a little while, so... I'm... Yeah, yeah I've played most of them. I think that's, I missed one where I was playing something else. But, okay. yeah, it's, it's it's quite nice. Does it advance the storyline or anything like that? Or is it as far as like, I don't know. Okay. There's monsters, go kill. That, that's my understanding of it. There might be a storyline. Roll dice, drink beer. Basically. Sure. I mean, you know, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing um, wrong with that. Okay. In in line with most dungeon crawlers, though, it it's another one of those where it probably takes slightly longer than you really want it to. Sure, at least because it's got bigger tiles, it won't take quite so long to set up as others. Yes, I played uh, some of uh, Mantic's dungeon crawler, which I'm not going to remember the name of now because we're recording. I don't know. I've not played it. Uh, played a lot, but not that one. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. I found that that got itself into situations where. You just sort of were twiddling your thumbs waiting for a dice roll. So you just sort of can assume, well, we've passed that. Literally nothing can go wrong. Yeah. It. But it may have been run poorly by the DM. Um, yeah, but... But that was fiddly to set up because you have lots of different tiles and corridor yeah. tiles and so on. Yeah. And it just felt... Whereas this is just played on squares, big squares. Yeah, this, this felt a bit more like the dungeon crawlers that you play when we were like 12 or so yeah which were fine then because you're oh i've got this character he's an elf he's got a bow well dice presumably it was modeled fairly closely on something like warhammer quest or a fermentic modeling something on an old gw property was sort of my assumption seems likely yeah i mean it's worked for them no one can deny that it seems to work pretty well for them so why would you stop yeah no no, this uh... this works we should keep doing it 
There's, there's no great judgment there from me. I mean, I really, no. I really like The Walking Dead. And they did a good job with that. So, uh, yeah, that's a really I interesting. Mean, obviously, <laughs> that's not derived from a DW property, but nonetheless. No, but you seem to have done a fairly competent job of what you've done. So. Yeah, yeah I was just, I was just assuming that what you've done was basically one yeah, quest. Yeah, it would seem that way. Okay, cool. Um, what did you play the next week? Because I did make it down that week. Yes, I played Guildball. Cool. Which I think, sadly, I think actually it's my first Guildball game of this year. Really. Wow, because you were really quite enthusiastic yes. about the it problem, last year. Uh, and I, I was just, like, playing this game was just reminding me why I liked it so much. Yeah. I really want to play more games now. Uh, and lots of new stuff. I play, mostly play Morticians. And they've gotten a couple of really cool new models. It's, does does Guildball sort of scratch your shenanigans itch? Yes. Where you want to set up this little combo. Yes. I, I like doing that in games. Yeah. I, I, I really like it. It's, it's not as CCG-like as something like War Machine. Yeah, which is is literally CCG the board the the miniature game. Yes, yeah, with a single point of failure as well. Uh, yes, we'll come back to that uh, <laughs> another time, maybe another episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I like the the way you can sort of build combos and you have to make everything work because it's alternating activations. It's your opponent might disagree with the thing you're trying to do. Yes. The, the opportunity for your opponent to see your plan and scupper it. Mm. So it's more about reacting than it is planning. There's definitely planning. Yes. But it's that whole no plan survives. Well, then it's so things right. like realizing that you can actually score a goal from starting halfway in your, into your own half. Yeah. If you do, if you do everything correctly and the dice roll works, you can easily make this goal of being 24 inches away. I, I think for me, I've not got into Guildhall. I've played a couple of games and I do think it's good. I don't know why I haven't got into it. But it's it sort of strikes me as a game which is halfway, bet- halfway between War Machine and Bushido. And obviously not mechanically, strictly speaking, but in terms of its, that's, um, that's a, its design that's philosophy. Pretty, that's pretty accurate, I think. Because it is about building your combo, but there's that opportunity for your opponent to scupper it yeah. and then you have to adapt to their thing. But there's much more synergy than Bushido, but you're yes. less reliant on that synergy than War Machine. Because War Machine is design yes. your machine, make it go, and and adapting to yeah. things did, going wrong. Did you bring enough tools to to interact correctly with your opponent's machine and defeat it? And did you execute everything in the yeah. right order? Yeah. Guildhall still has some of the right order stuff, but because very much your so. opponent can interrupt things just yeah. by the very nature of the activation system... You also have some contingency. You can react a little bit more. Yes. Uh, so actually, like on paper, I should probably really like Guildhall. I mean, I have a I have an aesthetic problem with it, which is that you've got a sports game where people are running around with giant axes and hitting each other, and you know, it's that's weird. Get, get yeah, back I'll on with an that. icy sponge. In Blood Bowl, they're doing it, but people die in Blood Bowl. Yeah. Uh, so people die in the background of Guild Wars. Yes, sure. E- even including being killed on the pitch, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, the, you know, this isn't something that I have a problem with when I'm playing Bushido, for instance, where, oh, I'm fielding Itsunagi. Oh, he got his head chopped off. Yeah. Well, next, game, next game, game, I'm fielding... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is obviously something with games that we have grown accustomed to anyway. Yeah. Well, there's just something that doesn't quite sit right there, but that's not why I don't play it. I don't know why. Maybe I just should. Um, I mean... The, there's lots of games one should play. The real yeah. 
the real problem is do you have extra time to play it nope and which is also why I haven't why I think this is my first game of Guild Ball this year yeah. because you ran a Bushido tournament early in the year so we did a little prep for that um, and so I played my last game in Guild Ball I think that was in like December and so mm. I was like oh got a Bushido tournament come on I should practice for that so yeah. we played a ton of Bushido and then like all sorts of other things have come up that we've played um, yeah I, I, the last few months actually have been quite a random selection of games. I've hopped about yeah. a lot between different ones, but that's, it's been good fun actually. Um, of course, we've got Bushido Masters coming up in a few weeks. Yes, so we're going to, to get some we're, we're going to the, the Games Expo. Okay, Games Expo. Yeah. Um, well, I actually might come back to that, but uh, so the Guild Wars. Uh, my brain's not working. The Guild Ball initiative system has changed, hasn't it? It has, which... This is my first experience with that as well. well because of I course. I played yeah. in ages. So it used to be that you, you would... As part of your actions, you generate momentum. Mm-hmm. Which can be spent on a bunch of stuff. But most... Well, not most importantly. Also importantly, it interacts with the um, initiative system. So you basically tally up your momentum, roll a die, add the two numbers together. Whoever rolled the highest got to pick if you wanted to go first or second yeah the die roll is gone okay you get a number of cards six seven something like that discard some of them keep four okay. I think um, and each card you play you, you have to play a card at the beginning of every turn except for turn one each card have an effect on it an initiative modifier which is what you add to your stack of momentum and I think it goes from one to seven. Blimey, okay. Um, and I think it's something like that is three or four threes and then decreasing numbers going mm. going outwards, I think. And there's also an influence modifier from minus one to zero to plus one, mm-hmm. which will then modify the amount of influence, which changes how many actions you can do. Sure. Um, and so you pick your hand and then you play one at the beginning and then you go from there. That's a bunch of tiebreakers if you end up with um, even, including at the end, it's like, well, I guess you're rolling the dice. Sure. But I like that. It's an interesting thing of, you get to do this thing, but it affects your initiative in this way. So do you really need to go first? Maybe pick something else. Mm. I like that. That sounds really interesting. And I mean, you can you can also tailor them so, well, maybe the plus one is obviously terrible for initiative. Maybe that's a good special rule on it. Well, I imagine you do it the other way around, don't you? You go, oh, we've come up with this rule. Does it seem a bit dirty? Yes. Okay, then its initiative modifier is zero. It's just crap. Well, maybe. I mean, so obviously I've only played one game. Hmm. But I thought that a bunch of the rules are fairly throwaway. Oh, really? So what you're possibly more interested in is the numbers. Hmm. I mean, you're obviously evaluating the whole card. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would expect them to design it the other way around. But, but there was some. There was certainly like <clears throat> I had some of the special rules, like offside trap. It might also just be because the card itself is not that good. I mm. mean, yeah, who knows? Um, but the situation on that seemed unlikely to come up, except in specific circumstances. So, if it's offside trap, does it require one of their players being closer to your goal than any of your players? It certainly does. There we go. I know Roundborg terminology. <laughs> and then you have to pay more to shoot. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Sure. 
could happen. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing against, say, like, fishermen, I guess. Yes. Because I know that they're the speedy ones. Yeah, they, they want to score lots of goals. Um, but equally, it might not matter to, to them. Oh, if you, I have to spend another point of momentum. Okay. If you have it to spare, you don't care. Mm. Sure. So, but overall, I thought it was... It also removed the plot cards. Oh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah, no, they're gone. Oh, interesting. Which was, which is why I've got special rules on them. So it's essentially that the plot cards and the initiative system are one and the same now. Yes. Works better, as far as I can tell. Also, the plot cards had issues. Sure. So, balance issues. Yeah. Which could easily come back with these play cards. But yeah, maybe, maybe but, I mean, there being more. There's multiple levers to pull on in this. Whereas some of the previous podcasts were just like, well, this plot card is just way better than anything else in the deck, and who has it is quite important. So the with the initiative cards, what are they called? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Momentum cards or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so are they generic or are they per guild? No, they're generic. They are generic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, Ross had them. I played Ross. And he had printed them all out and explained the whole thing to me. Hmm. I haven't played it in ages, so yeah, yeah. which was also nice just to turn up and go like, "Oh, explain to me how you do how I do this again." I even won, although I blame Ross for that. <laughs> well, he was the one who engineered my goal run. Sure. I, um, it, it strikes me as they they had a problem, which was the plot cards are perhaps a little unbalanced, and there's no inherent balancing system with them. But we've got this momentum system, which. Perhaps isn't all that interesting. It's just essentially mm. roll a die at a number. Uh, so they took those two and put them together. Yeah. And now we have a balancing system for the plot cards. Yeah. And yeah. That that yeah. I think that's really clever, like streamlining of the game. Mm. It works really well. Which is a fairly streamlined game anyway. Yes. I mean, it's it's effectively designed for to- for tournament play on the clock. So. Yeah. And the design approach was very iterative and very open with the community yeah. after the Kickstarter. So. That makes sense. They've also just announced season four. Yeah. Coming out in, well, SteamCon US, which I think is November. Something like that. I, yeah, I don't know. It was November last year, I believe. So okay. I'm, I'm going to make the bold assumption that it's about the same. Maybe that'll be my opportunity to get in, but who knows? I will have a tiny baby at that point. So, so probably not. Eh. Look, there are enough Guild Ball players around Fairham and Portsmouth yes. that I will be able to borrow stuff when I get a moment. Yeah, exactly. It's um, just about persuading people to come around here so that I can. Yeah, so you don't need a baby. So you don't need a babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does require you to, if you're playing it regularly, it does require you to pay attention to it because you do update things occasionally. Mm. It's not nearly as update heavy as War Machine, yeah. which are quite update heavy these days. But War Machine is also played out of an app. Sure. Whereas Guildbolt isn't. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a that's a whole episode, I think, talking about the frequency with which you update things yes. and the delivery method and all that sort yes. of stuff. Yes. I have thoughts, but not today. There's a surprise. <laughs> Okay, so um, so Ross sort of ran you through a sort of reintroduction yes. to Gilball. He had offered to run the two of us through a reintroduction to Gilball because he knows that I should like it yeah. more, and he keeps trying to get me on it, and he will eventually. But uh, 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 well, and he'll he'll want more people to play Gilball with yeah. for understandable reasons. But the opportunity came up to play a game with James called Aristea, which is the 
Corvus Belly, uh, the Infinity Makers, yes. uh, their arena board game. And I thought, actually, it'd be quite nice to be able to talk about a different game system uh, on the podcast. And I also like just experiencing as many different games as I can, because it you know, informs how we think about other games and so on. So uh, Aristo is one of those games where I'm going to need to come back to it after I've played it a couple more times and talk about it again on the podcast. It looked really interesting. It's cool. It is essentially Corvus Belli do Overwatch, really, because it's certainly with the aesthetics there, but also it's a future sport where people yeah. get killed, but they're not actually dead because that was just one of their clone bodies. Sort of altered carbon style, yeah, yeah. Uh, but less dystopian. Uh, Much less dystopian. And, 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 and more glossy. <laughs> yes. So... You look at the characters and they fit the archetype. You've got the tank, you've got the like the harassing character who Rogue. can't take a hit. Yeah. So any of your characters from Overwatch, you probably got them in Aristea or some version. Out. Yeah. You know, they're 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 not their proxy, but something that approximates them. So the you always have four players each, and there there's no point system. You just pick four. Each of those will have an initiative value. You lay your cards down and each of you flip simultaneously. Whoever's got the highest value chooses whether they're going to go first or second. Everyone's got five action points on each character. You spend those action points. You can buy movement by paying two action points. buys you your movement value in movement points. And then there'll be an attack. Everyone's got a generic attack, which costs three uh, action points. So effectively everyone can move and then attack. Yes. What's interesting, though, is that that one attack that everyone has, I think it's called Contender, is range 1 to 8. So you can always attack other people. Because I think the range of the sniper in the game is 8. Okay. And it's interesting because with Infinity you have the opposed role where you could actually end up shooting the person who's shooting you. Which is a bit weird. I, I love it, but we'll talk about that another time. That's in this as well. Okay. So you have defense dice... And they have attack dice. But they, they're just colours of dice which have multiple different symbols on them. Yeah. Quite a few different... We'll get to that. Um, they're not explicitly defence dice necessarily. So, if you roll your dice and I then roll my dice, I get some shields which block your little hits. Yeah. If I get a couple of hits as well and you didn't get any shields, well, I hit you back. Even if we're eight square, eight, eight hexes away. Yeah. Because it is a hex board. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, that's fine. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it works for an arena-style combat game. Yes, and it means that you're always at risk. Yeah. You, the sniper can put herself in cover, and she doesn't care if you're in cover. Yeah. And therefore, she can mitigate. You know, she she should come out on top. But she might not. But yeah. she's not involved. She can't sit at the back and go like, "There's no way. I have a tank in front of me. I'm safe for the whole game." Yeah. So you generally, I can't remember exactly the colours of the dice. Uh, there's a, definitely a red one, which is all no. See, I can't remember. Yeah. I think it's a red one, which is all-out attack, a green one, which is all-out defence. There's some in the middle, and then there's a yellow one, which tends to have more exclamation marks on it than strikes and so, shields. So you can basically go attack, defence, special stuff, yes. whatever. Okay. And every character has switches, which is, once you've rolled a dice, you can take. You can say, oh, I'm going to take the two shields on that die, and turn them or, or trade them in in order to use my switch. Yeah. And the switch might be 
displace your own model uh, one hex. Okay. So it's effectively me getting the puck out of dodge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before you then resolve your attack against me or something like that. Uh, one of the characters is like a samurai, and if he can change a shield into a hit, so effectively just going all out. Fair enough. Uh, so that's some really cool stuff in there. I'm going to have to come back and talk about it more. Uh, yeah, I really like really liked playing that. I need yeah. to play it uh, a few more times. It, looked, um, it looked, suddenly looked interesting. Yeah. Uh, right. So the only other thing that uh, I've played. Is last night I played 25 power levels of 40k. Yeah. 40k is something that I've fallen off of for quite a long time. I mean, me too. I mean, I yeah. start, when I started playing, I started with 4th edition fantasy and 2nd edition 40k. Hmm, you're just before me then because I hadn't transitioned. I think 3rd edition might have been my 40k. Uh, Very different game. Intro. Yeah, when it actually was about squads and so on rather than... How many heroes can you turn Super up? Super solos. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't really want to talk too much about this just yet. But the the idea is that uh, Adam and I both hadn't played 40k for a very long time. Uh, he hadn't played Eighth Edition at all. I've only played two very small games of it. And at the club, we've got this tale of X gamers going on at the moment. Graham and I decided we had too many 40k models that we weren't using and we weren't painting. He loves his Nurgle. We've just got them sitting around. So we thought, why don't we set a, a a goal for the two of us. Twenty ninth of May, we'll try and have twenty five parallels. Yeah, painted. I was going to say it's spirals slightly out of just the two of you. That's yeah. A, so I decided to post up on the ten club, of us now. Yeah, on, the, on like the club Facebook group uh, and see who else was interested. Turns out quite a few people. <clears throat> so it was essentially a, a way of us sort of practicing before the twenty ninth. I still haven't finished painting my 25 power levels, neither is he. But uh, I should do no practice, but I do have a painted force because I'm reusing my old, old army. Well, yeah, they were already painted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say that's against the spirit of the, uh, of the it, exercise, it, it, but whatever. It will be the only way I actually get to play in that because I am not buying a different army and painting it. No, no, I, don't, I wouldn't expect you to. I, I essentially am doing it with a pure Primaris army because I was like, oh, those Primaris models are nice. I'll get them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I probably by the end of this won't end up playing a lot of 40k anyway because there's certain things that just I don't know if I can go back to 40k the way it works compared with how so many other games. I think just work better or at least more interesting. Uh, no, I I will I will be perfectly happy to play a couple of sessions and move. Uh, well, I'm, my orcs are mostly just big stompy robots with mm. some orc infantry scattered about because I have to have some. Um, I would be perfectly happy to put that on the table and play that a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, for, but, for me, I guess it will occupy the same uh, category a little bit as something like Massive Darkness, where it's like, yeah. let's show up, roll some dice, and have a couple of beers. Yeah. But not actually tax our brains very much. Yeah. And I'm not saying that 40k can't tax your brain. I, I'm but sure at 25 it 25 power levels, it sure isn't going to. No. Um, and also, like, I'm not looking to put enough thinking into it mm. for that to happen. Yeah. Which is a choice. Mm. I mean, you could do that with pretty much any game. Some games it'll be more punishing than others, yeah. like Returning to War Machine. If you show up and decide oh, I'm not going to bother thinking about this, it's going to be a really quick game. Yeah, absolutely. And will be no fun for anyone. Yeah. So there's a group of us getting 25 power levels painted. I think it was six weeks away from when we started it. 
Yes. We'll play a game or as many games as we can fit in on that evening. And then there'll be another two weeks, 10 power levels. Another two weeks, 10 power levels. And then we'll sort of see how we're getting on. And if you don't spend all of that 10 power levels one week, well, your limit still goes up anyway. So you could rock up one week with, you know, 30 power level against someone else's 35. You're going to have a bad week. But then the week after that, maybe you can fit in two tanks and yeah. you know yeah. get your revenge. I think it, it fit neatly with me just being able to keep adding more walkers. Yes. <laughs> it was, so it was interesting playing Adam because we both had 25 power levels and I didn't have what I'm actually going to take yeah. because some of them aren't glued to bases and so on because I'm airbrushing them. But I think I came in at around 400 points and he was about 650, both the same power level. That seems rough. Exarchs, and uh, he was leading his army with an Altarx, so he can just put all the toys on it. Yeah. Whereas with the Primaris stuff, you don't really get to put many toys on them. You don't have options. It's, no. You've picked this. You take Intercessors, they can have one guy with uh, an underslung grenade launcher. Which you totally should take. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, it's obviously. It's pretty good. It means you, could, you have yeah. a 30-inch range crack grenade. But... It obviously means that your ability to sort of scale up the points inside the power levels yeah. is basically non-existent. Yes, and it seems that power levels are so, sort of go, okay, what's the minimum points for this unit? What's the maximum points for this unit? It's somewhere Let's in the middle. sort of average it and give it a number. Yeah. And, of course, with the Primaris, where there's no... Thing, there's nothing much to average. Yeah, so you, you mean you can't, you can't exceed the power level yeah. by picking stuff? So I definitely felt... Outnumbered and outgunned. Well, you would be if he has effectively fifty percent more points than you. Yes, it it felt rough. <laughs> uh, I also I also had no synergies set up because I yeah. didn't have. Uh, I had a captain with a jump pack and I had some jump pack in Marines, but then he decided he didn't want to charge. Then he got gunned down by Dire Avengers, so that was a laugh. Uh, but characters have bubbles which buff everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Else. Which is an aspect I actually quite like. I really like it. It makes them actually work like they're commanding the troops yeah, around. I think. I think the the combination of yeah. things you can set up is actually really nifty. So in my actual twenty five power levels, I will have a little bit more synergy, yeah. and it will. I, essentially, I'm going to walk together in a, forward in a bubble with a load of bolt guns. Is effectively my first, and then yeah. and then from there I might add some. I mean, that, that'll be, be similar to my tactic. My tactic would be I'll walk these walker forwards and then I'll have a big mech with a shock attack gun who will destroy <laughs> everything. But things we, we can get, the, we could probably get three games in on the, on the 20 probably each. Yeah. So that should be a good one. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything that we've been playing. I mean, I was going to say the, 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 the Avengers could have done it. Dark Reapers. I was thinking the Avengers. I was thinking Dark Reapers now. Oh, he had Dark Reapers. Yeah. They were disgusting and they shouldn't be allowed in the, any list ever. They the could be worse. You you said you never played second edition. Oh, let's not get into what <laughs> could be worse in se- if you played second edition. I, I'm well aware of the shit that happened in that. Ten, templates the same play and then expand. Yeah, yeah. I was hilarious when you put down, I'll put down seven this time. I'll put down seven again next time. <laughs> <laughs> It's a reason why that game took forever to play with a tiny oh, number yeah. of models. I think I'm, I may have played one or two games of second edition, but I think it was third when I really. I have, all the, I have all the rule books. Cool. We're not playing. They're nice artifacts. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend try and persuade me to play second edition, and I did play a game, and then I was like, you know, that was fine. I'm, I'm not sure it deserves the praise that you are heaping on it. 
I think that's just rose tinted glasses. When you were younger, you really enjoyed it, but actually, it probably. I have a I have a lot lot of like events that I can remember, which is fun, but I don't have a particular desire to play it because yeah. half of the things was like, well, this thing happened. Uh, I wiped out an Imper- Imperial Guard army with a squad of warp spiders, and there was nothing he could do about it. Probably not a good thing to revisit. It was definitely a game which created moments, but perhaps not fun for everyone, and then not necessarily not balanced or anything. So, yeah. no. So we had uh, Richie of Goblin King Games uh, reach out to us on Facebook after we discussed Moonstone in our first episode. Yes, because they're the ones who make Moonstone. I don't know if we, re- we, we actually named I, the company. I didn't realise that uh, it was Goblin King Games that made Moonstone, and obviously with the Labyrinth inspiration... It makes sense. It Obviously. I mean, it yeah. makes perfect sense. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting to have him reach out because they hadn't really thought about the, the thing that we mentioned at the end of our discussion mm. about Moonstone was that potentially it could be problematic for people with colour blindness. And none of their playtesters you know, brought it up or anything mm. like that, which I think is pretty understandable, uh, actually. But it's not something I've really heard talked about much, certainly in the miniature games industry, ever, really. Yeah, but it was great to hear from, from Richie because he said, we hadn't actually considered that, but for the next time that we uh, do a print run or yeah. whatever, or the next uh, pass we have at the yeah. rules, we're definitely going to take it into consideration. That was cool to hear. Um, what occurred to me is that I don't know that it does affect colour blindness because I don't suffer from it. Mm. I just, I've done a little reading and it looked like maybe, mm, who knows. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some filters you can look through to sort of simulate it, but I, not being colourblind, I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah. Reasonably, at a guess, at least so you can get an idea, but. Yeah. But what was cool uh, about him reaching out was that we actually had a little discussion about the whole thing. And he mentioned something else about accessibility that I thought was interesting, which was he was giving a demo to a guy who essentially said at one point, look, I I have Asperger's, so actually eye contact's a bit of a problem for me. I find it very difficult, Mm. which feeds into this whole bluffing mechanic that Moonstone has. And Richie said that it basically changed the way that they would demo the game from then on, where they would play up the the numbers of cards in the deck so yes. that you could be aware of the, the maths of it without having to judge by looking yeah. at someone and, and reading their face. So I thought it was a really interesting story of how they identified a, a little accessibility con- consideration, not an issue, but yeah. a consideration, and then adapted the way that they were demoing it so that it would be more inclusive. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a very nice move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought I would just bring that up as he took the time to have a little chat with us uh so i guess that's it for this episode i think so i think maybe uh next episode may well be just before the uk games expo it's about the right time yep which we're both going to i think you're going for three days i'm going for two I'm yeah, just up yeah we're, we're, we're going up early friday okay um, so i think we do a podcast on the eve of that or at least release it yeah <clears throat> Where we talk about what lists we're going to take to the Bushido Masters yep. on the Saturday and what we plan to do with them and what we're hoping to see. And then after the tournament, we record another episode uh, with a couple of the guys who are attending the tournament with us. Yes. 
of how our experience was and whether what, our machines what, 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 what actually happened. <laughs> yes. So the plan was this. That uh, never happened. Yeah. Then I came yeah. up against Chris Hale's four million bacamonos and... Oh. Uh, oh, so. oh, was it 14 peasants? Oh, yeah. Was that Jack? I can't remember. I think so. Um, did not end, end well for my uh, my Ito last year. Yeah, I'm sure. And it was just like, oh, I'm outnumbered and out of actions and I did nothing. <laughs> this is going to be a rough game. <laughs> yeah, I thought I turned up with a lot of models at nine with my Ito last yeah, year. No, no, you did not. Nope. Okay, so uh, that's it. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. And we'll talk at you again in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. Find Robot Dice Explosion at robotdiceexplosion.com, at RDE underscore podcast at Twitter, and Robot Dice Explosion on Facebook.